Well, good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. If you're a guest, we're glad you're with us. Welcome to CVC. And if you're online with us live right now, we're glad you're with us as well. And we've been spending the summer going through the book of Galatians, this book in the Bible that God had a man named the Apostle Paul write to a region. There was multiple gatherings of Christians in a region called Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And this book of Galatians is very heavy on the understanding of the freedom that we have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what has brought you into this room today, all of your burdens, all your problems, all your hurts are related to the gospel. Because either you or someone that you know just did not live out the gospel realities in your life. And the gospel is the good news of how God has reconciled us to himself through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, God now extends his offer of forgiveness, of new life, and of eternity that you could know, you could know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. You don't have to question it. All wrapped up in the gospel. And if you're here today or watching online and you don't have a relationship with Christ, our hope is that today you will leave reconciled back to God, that your fractured relationship will be reconciled back to God because he wants us to be in relationship with him. And not only does he free us from our sin, but also he frees us from and liberates us from all that we try to pursue to be made right with God. We usually chase after all these things, hoping that they'll fix our relationship with God, and they usually don't. People, what we accomplish, good works, religious um, duties, religious traditions even, these won't reconcile us back to God. Only Christ will. This is the gospel. And when we come to faith in Christ, not only does he free us, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, what a deal, right? Like you come to life in Christ, he forgives you of your sin, and then he gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside you, to guide you, teach you, direct you, nudge you in your life. And he grows us. And now as followers of Christ, we get to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we're walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, trying to you know, demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, all of this stuff with the Spirit doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's designed, and the way God worked it, is it's designed to play out in relationships, in community. And so God has liberated us from the grip of sin to walk by His Spirit together, together. And when we walk in the Spirit together, He will then lead us to do for others what He has done for us. And so with that, we're going to jump right back in to the book of Galatians. So fire up your Bible apps or open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 6. And as you're getting to Galatians 6, uh, there will be words on the screens. Uh, a lot of times as guests, it's like, oh good, I don't, I don't have something with me I can at least watch. But we're kind of a BYOB church, bring your own Bible. Have a Bible app, have your own Bible, journal, notes, whatever, so you can really study and look at it and, and assess everything yourself. Don't just take my word for it or whoever's up here. And if you're sitting here today going, I don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift. Uh, happy uh, summer's almost over. Happy fall. Uh, you get a free Bible on your way out at the guest reception area. Just get a, a Bible. But join me in Galatians chapter 6. We've had a lot of just phenomenal uh, teaching and lessons poured out about freedom that we have in Christ. If, if this is new, this is your first time, you can go back and watch and listen to any of those. But what we're going to move forward now is we're going to see three characteristics Three characteristics of a community that's walking in the Spirit together. 
Because again, we're to walk by the power of the Spirit together. Well, what does that look like? What will happen if we're doing that well? Well, we'll see three characteristics. And we're just going to move through Galatians 6.1 in the first 10 verses. Look with me at Galatians 6.1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. The first characteristic we see of a community that's walking the Spirit together is that we restore each other from sin. We restore each other from sin. This is probably a topic that you just could not wait to get to this morning. You're like, man, I want to go to church, and I want to talk about like restoring each other when we sin. That's usually not a favorite topic, but it's a topic that God wants us to have an understanding with. So when you look at Galatians 6, 1, first you see brothers. This is community. If you go backwards, you see a lot of us and we. There's this plural talk because this is community. Brothers, community of the followers of Christ, men and women. Those caught in sin or caught in the transgression. This is not so much the image of being caught in the act. This uh, is someone who's been overtaken or ensnared in sin. This could be a a life-altering sinful choice. But a lot of times it's a pattern of, uh, of repeated, unrepentant sin. This isn't, I had a bad day. This is, I'm walking down this path of sin, and it doesn't look like I'm going to stop or turn around at all. This is someone who's caught in transgression. And this is when we see a brother or sister, this is what the Lord's saying, when we see a brother or sister in Christ drowning in their sin, we're to come to their aid because it's hurting them and it's hurting the lives of others in their life. And so this is what God's call is to us. Now, notice here, it says, brothers, if anyone's caught in transgression, you are spiritual. Brothers meaning family of Christ. This is not something we do in the lives of unbelievers unless they've invited us to do so. This is something that is perfectly appropriate in the church as a family of faith that we would lovingly engage each other when we're ensnared in sin. And so we're being instructed here by the Lord through the Apostle Paul that those who are in a good place, because when you read the passage, it says, you who are spiritual, instantly we go, whoa, that's not me. <laughs> that's not a term that I would use for myself. So that I'm tapping out, game over, done. Um, that's not, you know, some uber super spiritual person. It's that you are in a good place spiritually. You're walking with the Lord. You're in a healthy relationship with the Lord. You're walking in the spirit on a regular basis, far from perfect, but you're just really in a good place spiritually that we, once we're aware of a brother or sister in Christ that's actively in a pattern of sin, our role is to attempt to bring them to their senses, And so we are to lovingly, courageously, and as seen here, gently engage them. Not with the goal of shaming, not with the goal of condemning or judging. What's the goal in the passage? Restoring, right? That you who are spiritual should restore him. The image of that word is to reset a bone that's out of place. Look, this is hurting you. This is hurting your family. You're you're out of place. I'm engaging you because I love you. I love your family. And we're trying to get things set back into place. And so we do that because we're, we love them and we're concerned for them. Now, this is the opposite advice that we would give ourselves. This is the opposite advice that the world would give. The, the world and the flesh say, not your business, right? Uh, that, that, hey, leave them alone. They'll figure it out. Hey, you're not so perfect. Just let it be. Uh, don't, you know, don't say anything. You don't have a right to say anything. It's their mess. But now we see what happens here. Because if we're a community of faith, that walks by the Spirit together. And when we do that, the Spirit is going to lead us to do for others what God's done for us. What did God do when he saw us in sin? He moved toward us. He didn't move away from us. 
And so as believers filled with the Holy Spirit, when we see brothers and sisters trapped in sin, we don't move away from them because that's not what God did for us. God moved into the situation. He came down. He died on the cross for our sins. And so we're going to imitate the Lord as we are filled with the Spirit. It would be similar to seeing an animal caught in a net or a trap. Like if you see a little critter caught in a net and trap, I know there might be a, a few sick, twisted people in here, but most of us would probably be like, oh man, let me help that thing. It would stir compassion. We want to help them out. We wouldn't sit back and go, that's what you get, man. You pay, you play. You know, you, you did that to yourself. Hope it works out. We, we would try to, you know, help because compassion has been stirred up in us. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do in us when we see brothers and sisters in Christ sinning. Stir compassion and try to move in to help. Now, we're not called to police each other. We're not called to have, you know, like sin radar, like, whoops, somebody's sinning somewhere. It's not our, like, superpower to go like, oh, you know, you know that, that, but we're called to love in relationship and move into the situation. And when we engage, as it's mentioned here, it's in a spirit of gentleness. We don't come in like an abrasive, finger-wagging, head-shaking, verse-quoting wrecking ball, right? That's not what God's called us to be. He's called us to move into relationship with love and gentleness, and at the same time, you notice here, we're also called to keep a watch on ourselves. What does that mean? Why are we supposed to keep a watch on ourselves? Because when we engage someone that we care about, because maybe something's going on in their life that we know is damaging them, keeping them from God, keeping them from family, friends, and other damaging things in their life, if we don't keep a watch on ourselves, typically one of two things happens. One, we can make the mistake that we're thinking we're superior morally. You know, oh, they're a mess, I'm not. No, we're all messes. But sometimes some people are in an extra messy situation where we get to move into that situation. So we keep, a, we keep watch that we don't come in with a conceited perspective, an arrogant uh, perspective, that we're better than them because they're in a mess right now. We've got to keep watch from that. But we also have to keep watch because we realize we're just as susceptible. We're just as vulnerable as they are to whatever mess they're in. When we see people falling in sin, we need to have the keen awareness that we are one to three decisions from being in the same exact place. All of us. None of us are above the ability to fail. And so we need to move in the situation to confront and love, to engage in love, knowing it could be us in a heartbeat. So we have to watch ourselves in that way. Now, although it's not stated here, the obvious implication is that if, they're the, if we're the ones caught in sin, if we've been overcome by, ensla you know, enslaved by, ensnared by a particular pattern of sin, if another believer in Christ comes and lovingly engages us, our role is to um, embrace it. Don't, don't deny it. Don't brush it off. Don't deflect it. And don't go on the offensive. Don't attack them. Oh, what, are you perfect? No, no. I just, there's something going on in your life I'm concerned about. I just want to move into this and see how I can help. And so if we're the ones trapped, if we're the ones caught, we need to be willing to let people in our lives. And here's the reality. The reality is all of us should want courageous people in our lives that love us enough to move into our lives if we're doing dumb things. We don't need cowardly friends. We don't need a cowardly church family. We, we become cowardly when we see someone and we go like, well, I'm just not going to do anything. Or our, our, our friends and our church family are being cowardly when they see it, but they won't talk to us about it, but they'll still talk to a lot of other people about it, right? 
That's cowardly. Oh, and, and of course, you know, the, the Christian way of doing that, we're, I have a prayer request. I need to pray for so-and-so and what they're struggling with, you know? Well, have you talked to that person? Oh, no, we're just going to pray for them. No, you're gossiping. Now you're just using prayer as a cover for your gossip, right? And so we're, we're cowardly if we don't do anything and say anything. We're cowardly if we talk to everyone else but that person. And we're cowardly when we basically give support to whatever sin they're doing. You know, you're right. You're justified in that. I see why you're doing it. It's okay. No, I want people of courage in my life. I want people who love me enough and love God enough to be able to get in my business if I need them to, to say, look, what's going on? I care about you. I'm concerned for you. Can I ask you about this thing I've observed, I've sensed, I've heard about? That's, that's what it looks like if we do this. We all need those people in our life. So if the Spirit leads us to do for others what God has done for us and God restores us from our sin, then a community walking in the Spirit together is going to help restore others when they're in sin. This is a biblical understanding. It's not a worldly understanding. It's not a fleshly understanding. It's a biblical understanding of what it means to try to help restore each other. But we also bear each other's burdens. Look at Galatians 6, 2 through verse 5. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I want to repeat that. For if anyone thinks he's what? Something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This concept of fulfilling Christ's law of loving each other happens when we bear one another's burdens. And if you, and if you look at Galatians, especially, especially these last uh, couple chapters here, love your, loving your neighbor, fulfilling the law of Christ, bearing one another's burdens are all synonymous. They're all interrelated expressions. Now, when you look at verse 2, we make sure we don't abandon the context. Verse 2 here is bearing one another's burdens. What was the topic before we're to bear one another's burdens? Restoring each other from sin. So, what this means is we're also called to bear one of those burdens if there's sin in the mix. This is, again, against our human grain. This is in context, meaning that the burden that this person now has because of the sin in their life. That's exactly what God did for us. If you think about our spiritual condition, right? Sinful rebels running from God, no ability to reconcile our fraction relationship on our own. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't say enough prayers. You, you can't, there's, there's no water deep enough, clean enough, purified enough to baptize the sin out of you. None of that's biblical. There's nothing we can do. God sees the burden of our sinful condition. And what does he do? He moves into it and then bears the sin upon himself through Jesus. Remember what 1 Peter 2.24 says. Speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We, just in case you start to think, oh, I'm not that bad. This is like a reality check. We are so bad. We are so sinful that it took God to kill his son on a cross to cleanse us. I am so filthy on the inside. It took Jesus to die to even have a chance. That's our condition. And so that, that, was a, that was a burden. I couldn't do anything about it. And God took it all upon himself. And now when we're filled with the Spirit, when we see others in a condition where sometimes they can't do anything about it, God moves us in to help share that load 
which means we look for opportunities to show fellow Christians compassion when they sin and help them seek repentance and restoration back to God, help them seek repentance and restoration back to the people that they've hurt because of their choices, and then, if we can, help them navigate some of the consequences that came from their sin. That's what it means in context to bear one another's burdens. That, that's a phenomenal act of love to do that. Now again, this isn't a person who's unrepentant, they have no interest in turning around. The Bible has a whole different set of instructions for how to deal with those people. Pretty much like, hey, if they're going to run and they're not going to look back and they have no intent, then let them go. But if a person's willing to engage and they're willing to be restored, then, then we work with them out of love and compassion and we bear the burdens. Now, obviously, the context is the burden brought on by sin. But we also know, obviously, that bearing one another's burdens as believers is also bearing burdens in general. If you don't know what a burden is, let me give you a good definition. A burden is a burden. The burdens. How's that? Does that help you out? A burden burdens. What's burdening you? Whatever. It's, it's a burden. It's something that we're carrying. And so we know that God welcomes all, God says cast our cares upon him. God, God welcomes our burdens upon himself. But then here's what God does. God then maneuvers the body of Christ, the, the church, the family. He maneuvers your Christian friends into your life to help bear those burdens. So basically, God delegates a lot of his burden-bearing ministry to us, to the church. We've been empowered to help bear the burdens on behalf of the Lord. So when we are aware of each other's struggles, we can bear burdens physically, by offering practical support, physical acts of service, you know, cooking meals, doing lawns, errands, watching kids, driving people places, physical ways that we can help pick up a burden. We can offer financial support. Some of us have the means to help people when they have needs beyond their own means. Sometimes that bearing the burden looks emotional. It's listening. It's feeling their pain. It's empathizing with them. It's checking in on them. Hey, how you doing? And sometimes the, the way we can bear burdens is spiritually by praying with them, praying for them, finding verses in the Bible, promises from God that we can send them as reminders of, of the Lord's love for them. That's also encouraging them in the Lord. And so sometimes we see the needs around us and it's just like, man, there's so many. Because these are ways we can bear the burdens. But a lot of times, if we're going to be honest, we see all these needs around us. And we're going, where do I start? Like, where do I, there's so many burdens around me. Where do I start? And there was a phrase a long time ago that I heard that's helped me personally, especially as a pastor in a large church, is this phrase is this, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. When we're bearing burdens, God's not going to call you to bear everyone's burdens. He's just going to move you into some people's burdens. And so do for one person what you wish you could do for all people. Just, just, and if we're all doing that, if we're all just taking one burden upon ourselves that someone else is carrying. Look at all the burdens in this room represented. That's a lot of burdens that we get to carry as a team, as a family. It's a lot like the, the, the starfish story. Some of you are familiar with this. It was about a little boy who was walking down a beach after the tide went out. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of starfish on the beach. And this little boy was picking them up one at a time and chucking them as far as he could, right? Just picking these things up and chucking them. That must have been a thrill ride for a starfish. Woo! You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if a starfish feels anything. That's irrelevant. But anyways, he's just picking up these starfish and chucking them into the ocean. And another man's walking on the beach and sees the boy doing this. It's like, oh, this poor kid. He just says, young man, this is great what you're doing, but it's not going to make a difference. And he just picks up one starfish and goes, it's going to make a difference to this one. You know? 
off he goes. That's a lot of times what bearing burdens looks like. There's just so many out there. We, we, can't, we can't do it all. But we can do for one what we wish we could do for all. And so we're called to bear one another's burdens in this way. And on this note, I just want to say, this is where I think we can just celebrate as a church. Like I've been here seven and a half years and, and just listening and, and entering into a community that's definitely a caring community. Like you guys do this well to the glory of God. Like all the stories of you who you go to hospitals and visit with one another. I've been to hospitals and there's already CVCers there you know, praying and hanging out, ministering to the people. Some of you go to prisons and encourage people who are in prison. Some of you prepare and cook meals and organize meal plans for people who just got out of the hospital, just going into the hospital, that are, you know, just lost somebody. There's a lot of you that have entered into the lives of single parents or parents that have children with special needs or disabilities, or you see someone who's got an, an aging parent in the house and you come in and you offer care, support, you give them respite, like get out of here, go have a date or go get a coffee or something. Like you guys do this well. So thank you for being a caring community. We know we can do more, but this is an area that I think God would actually give us a thumbs up on and say, you're doing a great job, CVC. So praise God for that. But then we know there's a lot of people who have not had this kind of experience in church. They've never encountered a church that cared on this level. Why is that? Well, I think if we look at verse three, it brings some insight. We think we are something when we're actually nothing. See, a lot of people don't really want to be bothered by other people's problems. Or we're only willing to enter into the problems if it will make us look good or if we can get something out of it or it won't cost us too much, right? This is thinking we're something when we are nothing. This is conceit. This is a person walking in the flesh. And if we're conceited, self-centered, self-focused, and we're walking in the flesh, then we're typically going to be unaware of the needs around us or we're going to be consumed only by our own needs. And so that person is going to find themselves either going, wait, what needs? There's needs out there, and they're right under their noses. Or they're going to be like, I have needs. Why is no one helping me with my needs? And they don't see anyone else's. This is a position that we find ourselves in. So it's hard to help carry the burdens of others if you're too preoccupied with only your own. So on that, I just want to ask a reflection question for a second. I want you to think about your burdens that you're carrying. Because all of us right here, watching online, in this room, all of us have burdens that we are carrying. If you were to put a percentage number on the burdens you're carrying that belong to other people, what would it be? What amount of your burdens that you're carrying are actually burdens of other people? 5%, 10%, 20%? Or is it just 100% your burdens? See, God wants to help bring the body of Christ in to help us with our burdens, but he's at the same time going to have you try to help other people with their burdens as well. And so we have to find ourselves in a place where we're not in an unhealthy extreme, where we're over here, no burdens of others, or over here, only the burdens of others. And I think that's really what's at the heart of what we find in the next verses. The next verses feel like someone's slamming on the e-brake, right, in the middle of driving, because we're trucking through Galatians 6. We're being instructed to bear one another's burdens, and then we run into 4-6, test your own work. Like, wait, what? Boast in yourself, not your neighbor. Bearing your own load. We're like, time out here. Bear one another's, one another, one another, one another. And all of a sudden it's like, what's this? I'm supposed to test my own work? I'm supposed to boast in myself? I'm supposed to carry my own load? Like what just happened? Is, Paul, is like Paul being bipolar here? Like what is going on in this moment? Well, these verses are complementary, not contradictory. Are we supposed to bear our own load or are we supposed to bear the burdens of others? What's the answer? Yes, yes, both. 
It really helps, though, to know the difference even in the original language and how it gets teased out when you start to study Scripture. In the Greek language, the word for burden is the word baros. Okay, so the word baros is being used here when it speaks of a burden. That's a heavy weight. It's oppressive. It's stressful. It's something that you would put like on a pack animal. It's too heavy for you to carry. So a baros, a burden, is something that you don't have the ability to carry on your own. We all have those in our lives, or those will kick up in our lives in certain seasons. But it says here in, at the end of uh, that passage that we're to test our own load, carry our own load, that is the word fortion. Fortion. It means more like a personal pack, kind of like a backpack, if you will. So we help others with what they can't carry while still being responsible with what we can carry. So we all have a fortion, a personal load that we're responsible to carry, and we all have a bados, which is burdens in our lives and the lives of others around us too heavy. And we're called to test what we carry. We're to test our fortion, if you were example. We're supposed to test if we're carrying that well. And if so, we can have good satisfaction. This is a good kind of pride. We can have satisfaction that we're trying to be faithful to that which we're responsible to God for. And so we can't start comparing our loads, right? Uh, We don't compare ourselves to what others do and contribute and carry because that's a very dangerous exercise. We will either boast that our neighbor does more than us and we'll feel inferior, which leads us to envy or discouragement, or we will boast that we do more than our neighbor, which leads us to conceit and pride and feeling superior. Like we all know, there's, there's Christians out there, you're like, dude, that's like super Christian. Like, they're doing all these things, and we compare ourselves and go, like, I, I'm, just, I'm just a weak sauce Christian. I don't do much, you know. And we start to feel inferior. God's like, don't, I'm not, I'm not, judge, I'm not measuring you based on that. I'm measuring on, are you faithful with the opportunities I've given you? I'm not measuring you based on what they're doing with their opportunities. I'm measuring based on what you're doing with your opportunity. Well, but, but then there's these other people, you know, now that I think about it, I'm actually doing a lot more than those people. And God's going, no, 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 no. I'm not measuring you based on what they're not doing. I'm measuring you based on what you're doing. And so that's what it means to test our own and carry our own load here. My family, for example, is my responsibility to disciple, not yours. You know, we can partner and help and encourage, but that's primarily my responsibility. The, the person that lives to my left and the person that lives to my right, and the people that live across from me, my life house zone, those people are primarily my responsibility to share Christ with and to love on and to serve, not yours. That, that's the load God's given me. And so I need to make sure that I'm examining whether I'm doing that well, as well as my own personal walk with the Lord, the load that I carry personally. Charles Spurgeon, a faithful preacher from the 1800s, said something really neat about this. He says, there is, after all, a burden that we cannot carry for others and that we cannot shift upon others. And there are burdens of care and sorrow and trouble that we can take from other men's shoulders. But the great burden of responsibility before God, each man must carry himself. The burden of our natural depravity, the burden of our fallen nature, the burden of our constitution, which is perverted by evil. These we shall, each one of us, have to carry for himself. My relationship with God, the opportunities that God has given me, these are the things that I carry. And there'll be plenty of other opportunities to bear the loads of others as well. And so we carry our packs while we help other people carry their big burdens that they can't. We give and we receive. We don't just give and we don't just receive. It's the both and. 
So when we tie this all together, if the Spirit of God is going to lead us to do for others what He's done for us, well, God has bore our burdens. So therefore, as a community, we need to walk in the Spirit together by bearing one another's burdens as well. So we restore each other from sin, we bear each other's burdens, and we also sow seeds of good deeds. We sow seeds of good deeds. Look at Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are, what's it say? In the household of faith. So in essence, you, what you sow is what you grow. And then we kind of have three little examples here. What you sow is what you grow. The first is really the teacher to the student. We see here, as, as these are being unpacked, we see in verse 6 that those in their church who sow instruction from God's word, they grow disciples who not only share what they learn and apply, but also in this context share good things. What are good things? They're actual physical resources. We're sharing in physical resources. So sharing is a lot different, I would say, than donating. Donating is appreciated. Donating can be generous, but it can be detached from ownership of the community. Also, people give. People can be a giver. Being Giving is appreciated, giving is good, but if we're not careful, just being a giver can lead us into a hired gun mindset where the giver sees himself as one who funds the ministry but doesn't actually participate in it. And again, a lack of ownership on some level. So when we become those who share, when we're sharing with those, we're saying we're part of all that's happening. The church's mission is my mission. The church's goals are my goals. And we really believe here at CVC that the church is going to be the best way to reach you and your family and your neighborhood for Christ. And so if you share here through resources, you are sharing in that mission, the mission to invite people to new life in Christ by how you share. So it's, it's my joy, I couldn't have been any teacher up here this week, but it's my joy that I get to say thank you from your CVC staff. Because not a day goes by that we're not humbled, we're not stunned, we're not blown away that we get to provide for our families by loving you, by serving you, by equipping you, by teaching you. And that's our joy. And I love being part of a church that shares in the mission. I love hearing you talk about new life in Christ that you experience, new life in Christ that you're hoping your friends or neighbors will experience. And so we have a sharing community. But this is part of, you know, sowing seeds of good deeds to those you teach and those who you have taught. Also, we see here in another context that this sowing and reaping is true of our spiritual condition. You can't cheat God. If you sow to the flesh, you get a harvest of the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you get a harvest from the Spirit. Now, sowing to the flesh means living for the flesh. And so I'm sowing to the flesh if I'm using my time, my money, my energy on things that won't last. I'm sowing to the flesh means I'm feeding the flesh. We're called to crucify the flesh, right? Let, 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 let the, the impulses, the sinful desires die. But when we sow to the flesh, we're actually feeding it. We're giving it CPR. And we're doing it through all our little impurities. And when we're stepping out of God's bounds sexually, and when we have wasteful indulgence, and when there's moments of no self-control, and if we're hanging with the wrong people, and if we're holding a grudge, 
or little forbidden flirts for those who are married, manipulations of other people, lies. All these things are yummy little morsels to the flesh. But what will we harvest? We harvest corruption. We harvest moral erosion. We get into spiritual quicksand. I mean, nothing that we indulge in is going to last. It's all eventually going to be corrupted and destroyed. And for the people who dedicate themselves to the flesh, it's becoming evident that they never actually had the spirit. And so then they can actually harvest eternal death, separation from God and hell forever. But God has called us to sow to the spirit. And the beautiful thing about this is God's saying, I want you to sow to the spirit. I'm actually going to give you the ability to do so because we don't have the ability. So when he gives us the Holy Spirit, we get to cooperate with the spirit and sow to the flesh. We don't grind it out. We let the Spirit lead us and we just follow. We talked about that last week. So sowing to the Spirit means spending our time and money and energy on that which has eternal value. And we get to use the stuff on earth to help point people to Christ somehow. So sowing to the Spirit keeps the old nature dead. It keeps uh, us from being enslaved to those sinful urges and desires and impulses. Sowing to the Spirit is done when our thoughts and our actions are on Christ or on heaven or that which pleases God. It takes place when we're in the Scripture, you know, studying and learning and receiving from God's Word. We're sowing to the Spirit when we're spending time with God in prayer and just thinking upon how awesome He is and how great He is. We're sowing to the Spirit when we love others and serve others and bless others and we're generous to others and we share Christ with others. And then what happens? We harvest a spiritual harvest. We grow We grow in grace and mercy and love and understanding of God. Fruit of the Spirit starts to come out of us more. We grow in our understanding of God. And we also have this assurance of eternal life that we know we're going to heaven. But not just that. We just get to live a different life here as well. A life of more purpose, more um, uh, power of God in our life, more passion. All of that because we're sowing to the Spirit. That's what happens when we sow to the Spirit. We reap from the Spirit, and we start to see transformation in us, and then God gets to use us to help others. Man, what a joy that is. But then we're told here that, you know, basically, don't burn out trying to do good because transformation isn't immediate. It takes time, so we can't tire of sowing to the Spirit. It just takes time to see the spiritual harvest, but it is promised. And so we can sow uh, seeds of good deeds to those who teach us, to those who we've taught, we sow seeds of good deeds to ourselves by trying to you know, sow to the Spirit. And obviously we see here, we're also to sow seeds of good deeds into the lives of other people, especially fellow Christians, the family of faith. So every time we have an opportunity to do good, we need to kind of get an auto response built up in our life just to do it, especially to those who know Christ. And I love that. There's a priority here because we get to do good. Now, don't, don't forget, I feel like we need to say this every time we talk about good deeds and good works. Don't forget, we do good deeds not to be saved, but because we are saved. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, we're told, for we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you were even born, God had planned you to do good things, to use you. For his good. That's an awesome thing. And so as missionaries, we sow seeds of good deeds in the lives of people we know and love and live next to and meet along the journey of life. But also there's this priority that when we get a chance to really help out our fellow believers, whether local or global, we get to do that too. This is what it calls. And so 
If the Spirit leads us to do for others what God has done for us, how many of you, by the raising of your hands, would say, God has done good to you? How many of you say, God has done good to me? If God's done good to us, then we're filled by the Spirit. He's going to lead us to do good to others. You guys get it? This, this is a beautiful portrait of a community that gets to, to walk by the Spirit together. We restore each other from sin. It's not pleasant, but it's necessary. We get to bear one another's burdens. Yes, it means sacrifice. Yes, it means inconvenience. Yes, it means joy. And we get to sow seeds of good deeds. It's always blessing people, believers, the family of faith, people who don't know the Lord. This is what God's called us to. We've been liberated from the grip of sin to walk by the Spirit together. I just want to take a minute to share a beautiful example of what this can look like from a recent situation that's come up from a couple families in our church. Both these families attend here. Uh, they never knew each other for a while, but they know each other now. And it's Tina, Mitch, and Kathy. Now, Mitch and Tina are, are here at CVC. They've been married for about eight years. Well, five years ago, Mitch was diagnosed with type 2 diabetic kidney failure. And so this disease has been a major burden for them to carry. One day life was normal. The next day, they're in the hospital. Now, Mitch has greatly suffered from a host of issues, all related to his diabetes and kidney failure. He's been on dialysis for three years, for three times a week, four hours each time. He inserts his own 15-gauge needles on a regular basis. He feels sick every day. There's times even when he needs to get shots in his eyeballs. That's the never-ending medical appointments, procedures, and prescriptions leave him fatigued and feeling like he has the flu every single day. And that's the good days. At only 47 years old, he wants his health back. He wants his, to be able to work again. Tina says, I want my husband back. We have so much life to live. But Mitch and Tina love each other. They love Jesus. They're trusting the Lord and how he's going to show up through this situation. Kathy and Bob are also part of our church family. And Kathy helps lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at CVC. Jesus brought Kathy into Mitch and Tina's story in a surprising and unique way. Kathy found out about Mitch and Tina's situation through Facebook. One of her Facebook friends and fellow CVCer commented on Tina's post about Mitch needing a kidney donor with type O blood, and it showed up in her newsfeed. Kathy didn't even know Mitch and Tina at the time, and they weren't Facebook friends. But God began to tug on Kathy's heart about helping Mitch and Tina. Uh, Kathy wrote down how this unfolded. She said, God brought a line in the post to my attention that said type O. And I heard the Lord say, you're a typo. <laughs> I immediately flipped out and my first thought was no way. I threw the phone on my bed and felt panic inside of me. I picked up my phone later and started Googling kidney transplants and fear filled me as I read. I reiterated my disobedience even louder for God to hear and pushed it all out of my mind. But as each day passed, I couldn't pray and God wouldn't let me shake his ask of me from my mind. So after almost a week, I prayed and asked God to confirm I had heard him correctly. God confirmed what I had heard and also humbled me by helping me acknowledge that deep down I knew all along I had heard him correctly. I repented and prayed and thanked him for the opportunity to be a blessing. I then sent a Facebook message request to Tina. She reached out to me and then we spoke on the phone. I told her that God had put it on my heart to reach out to them after seeing her post and to see what I could do to help. She said that they needed to organize a search to find 100,000 people willing to be tested to see if they could be a possible match because they were informed that the odds of being a match out there was about one out of every 100,000. 
Then she asked me if I'd also be willing to get tested to see if I was a match. Out of obedience, I said, God put it on my heart to help you in whatever way you need, so sure. In my heart, I was praying that this was just a test of obedience and that I wouldn't be a match. Because <laughs> I was truly still scared. I helped them get organized in the search. I helped collaborate on their news website, and I got tested. And as the testing began, my prayers became prayers asking for his will. And after the first test came back as a match, I began to believe with all my heart that this was an act of obedience and that I would be a perfect match for a kidney transplant. As we waited for test result after test result, I got to know Mitch and Tina, and I fell in love with both of their hearts. They are such beautiful souls, and it's become a privilege and a blessing to get to know each of them. I am honored to be able to help them, and they are family to me now. What started out as an act of obedience to God has now become a genuine act of love. Do you see what God did here? He provided a kidney donor for a man with stage 2 kidney disease from a woman who was in his church but didn't know him and wasn't even a registered organ donor. God has woven these two family stories together through Christian community. And now Kathy is helping bear the burden and plant seeds of good deeds into the lives of Mission Tina by being willing to give a kidney. Now, um, we need to keep praying, and we will in a minute, for Mitch and Tina and Kathy. They were actually going to do the, the kidney transplant at the end of June, but uh, Mitch's blood platelet level is too low. And so they're doing bone marrow testing, and they're doing some blood transfusions and things to see if they can get those up. Uh, and when they do, they're going to look to move forward on the transplant. So we get to bear the burden as well by entering into the story, by praying for them and seeing what God's going to do. Now look, God may not call you to give a kidney to someone as a way to bear a burden or plant a seed of good deed. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll ask even more of you. But a lot of times, it's just the daily, unnoticed, mundane acts of faithful bearing burdens. It's just the accumulation of many little seeds of good deeds accumulated over time. A lot of times God will ask us. It's not heroic we look at a kidney transplant and go, that's heroic. God might call us to something heroic. We need to be faithful whether he calls us to something heroic and big or whether it's a lot of little faithful, small, and unnoticed. Amen? The little stuff. Because that's what it looks like when a community filled by the Spirit walks together in the Spirit. So here's what I want you guys to walk away with. I want to give you a prayer. I'm going to ask you to join me in on a regular basis. We can pray this prayer as a community on a regular basis. And simply this, Lord, help us do for others what you've done for us. Lord, help us do for others what you've done for us. Would you just say that with me? Lord, help us do for others what you have done for us. If we walk out of here ready, ready to do that, do for one what we wish we could do for all, to do for others what God's done for us, man, we're going to make a difference in this world. You're going to make a difference in the lives of others. Just a couple other side applications that, that are important. It's hard to be in community when you're not in community. And so a lot of what we talked about today happens on the front lines of life groups and in church membership. And so if you're not in a life group, here's an opportunity to get plugged into a life group. We have a connect information on the screen for you. Uh, get into a life group or get back into a life group. In your life groups, have deeper conversations about what this can look like. Um, church membership Membership is not like a club. It means you see yourself as a member, not an not a, a observer, but someone who actually participates in the church. And so church membership allows us to support each other, confront each other, all those things. And so our next steps for a membership are on there. You feel free to do that. The other is make sure you've got strong Christian friends around you on a regular basis. But 
Help us do for others what God has done for us. And if you have not given your life to Christ yet, uh, again, like I talked about in the beginning of the service, uh, come to Christ to help fix that fractured relationship with Jesus. You simply just need to pray. Just tell God everything you've heard. God, I need you. I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I need to give my life to you. And if you surrender your life to Christ today, let us know. There's a response card in your program. You can mark that, saying, I'm giving my life to Christ, and we'll get in touch with you and follow up with you to see how you can grow in your relationship with Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for today. Thanks for a chance to just come together with freedom and open your word. Lord, help us do for others what you've done for us. You've done so much for us. We could just sit here for hours recounting your goodness, all the things you've done, all the things you've said, all the things you've made true, all the things you've blessed us with, all the things you've withheld from us, all the times you've disciplined us. We thank you for the times you've said yes. We thank you for the times you've said no. Lord, help us be this community that does for others what you've done for us, Father. Help us to respond to your spirit as you give us opportunities for restoration, for burden bearing, for sowing seeds of good deeds. Lord, we pray for those who need you as Savior today, that they would take that bold, courageous step of surrendering their life to you and letting us know so we can help them walk new in you. Lord, we also pray for those who are being baptized today. Thank you that they get to go forward and declare their love for you. God, may this be a defining moment for them. And Lord, we especially pray right now for Mitch and Tina and Kathy. Lord, thank you for Kathy and her boldness and bravery. Thank you for her obedience. Thank you that we can relate to her as someone who's struggled with this before giving in. But Father, calm her fears. Continue to give her joy and love and anticipation for this great gift that she's offering a brother in Christ. Father, we pray for Mitch and Tina, Lord. Can't imagine what it's been like to walk in their shoes for the last three years, four years. Father, bring healing. Lord, get those blood platelet levels up, we ask Jesus, so this transfusion can happen and so this transplant can happen. Father, we look forward to hearing the rest of the story. You will be glorified. Your will will be done. But we lift them up and pray a blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. amen.